on the stanza than I was expecting, so we'll conclude it this afternoon with two more points. We've looked at comfort and affliction. We've looked at comfort by yourself, and now the psalmist will comfort himself with song. Verse 54. Thy statutes have been my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. Comfort by songs, which then means comfort by singing. Pilgrimage. A pilgrimage is a long journey that someone takes to a destination, usually for religious reasons. What is the destination of the psalmist? His destination is the celestial city. It is eternal glory. That's the pathway he's on. The house that he's living in is not a house uh, as we live in and sleep in. It's his life, his body. Uh, Ecclesiastes 12, Solomon would use this word when he said, When the house uh, where the keepers are begins to fail. And I'm paraphrasing that. The house would be the body, the keepers would be the bones, and they begin to tremble and get weak. And so here... The house, his body would just be his life. He is the pilgrim, and the pilgrimage is the journey to the end, the goal, which is the glory of God in the revelation of the sons of God, Romans 8, on that day of the resurrection, and what helps him along the way of his pilgrimage is singing. Singing. What do you like to sing? Why do you like to sing it? What are, the, what are the benefits of singing? Well, we see here it brings the psalmist comfort. Even research has been uh, made to show secularly that singing increases your memory. There's something about the brain that even languages can be remembered when you sing them. You remember when we went to the nursing home before COVID. People that could not tell you their name. As soon as you started to sing, they knew every word. Research has shown that patients that have dementia can remember songs because the brain puts it in a certain spot in a way that the melody, the tune helps people remember. Think about all the songs that you can remember, that you didn't remember just by hearing the melody or the tune. What kind of songs does the psalmist like to sing? Songs that are the statutes of God, which is another way the psalmist is expressing the Word of God. What's the content of the statutes? Verse 55, I have remembered your name. Your name. What kind of songs does God like to hear? He likes to hear songs about His name. And I'll assure you it's not for His benefit. It's all for your benefit. Think about some of the songs you can remember in Scripture. Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be glory forever, honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Almost missed it. My family's mortified right now. <laughs> 1 Timothy 1, verse 17. Now sing this one with me if you know it. Beloved let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not, 
knoweth not God, for God is love. Beloved, let us love one another, 1 John 4, 7 and 8. I can't hardly say the verse without singing it. We need to be singers, don't we? Singers of the truth of God. Parents, teach your children songs based on Scripture. Teach them 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Teach them 1 Timothy 1, 17. Teach them at a very early age songs that are taken from Scripture. If you don't know of any, you need to see Brother Tim Cannon or Sister Emily Cannon, and they've got booklets that we've learned even here years ago, somewhere maybe in the building, somewhere in their house, that are full of songs that are simply straight out of the Bible. What are you doing? You are equipping them to find comfort in the statutes of God in times of affliction as they remember the name of God, O Lord, in the night. And what was the upshot of remembering that name through song? I have kept thy law. We need to sing Scripture. What are the benefits of singing? We remember the Scripture. We remember the Word of God. Also, singing brings us joy. Now, there are countless places in the Bible, in the Psalms in particular, where this is stated, but let's look at Psalm 67, where the psalmist says this. Psalm 67, verse 1. God, be merciful unto us, and bless us, and cause His face to shine upon us. Selah. So that thy way may be known upon the earth, thy saving health among all nations. What is the saving health of God? It's His mercy or His face shining upon us. Now, we want that way of God, His saving health, to be known among all the nations. So verse 3, let the people praise thee, O God, let all the people praise thee. O let the nations be glad and sing for joy. When we want the nations to know about the saving health of God and God's mercy to us is so that we can then make that mercy, that saving health known to the nations, we want them to be able to sing with joy in their hearts, presumably as you sing with joy in your hearts. Let the nations be glad, and if they're glad, they will sing for joy over what? The banner of God's name or mercy or His saving health that comes to all nations through the gospel of Jesus Christ. It brings us joy to sing over truth. Now what songs do you like to sing? There are some songs in my life that I like to sing about going down the road in your pickup truck and you got your dream girl beside you, you know those songs. And Going on a sunny day on a dirt road down to the lake and do some fishing, do hanging out with your gal. That's just a pipe dream. Now, I get it. It gives you a little joy and gives you a little pep in your step and kind of makes you feel good because there's a nice melody. But it's a dream. It's just a dream. Even if you find that girl and get the pickup truck, there's going to be some things going on in that pickup truck that tension and conflict. Right? There's going to be things in life that are not so dreamy. 
But when you sing over the name of God, it's not a dream, beloved. It is reality. It is truth you can bank on. It is solid rock truth. No other songs that you can sing. And this is not a message about not singing any other songs or you're doing something wrong. We're talking about comfort in affliction through singing the songs of Zion and those songs when sung over the reality of the truth, the mercy, the grace, and the knowledge of who God is and His name. The upshot is, is that it brings joy. Real joy because it's real truth. Jesus liked to sing. We know that from Hebrews 2 verse 11. For he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one. For which cause he, that is Jesus, is not ashamed to call you brother or sister. Say, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. I will sing praises to thee in the congregation. When Jesus was on the earth, he sang praises to God in the congregation. Now imagine if he were sitting next to you on a Sunday morning during song service. And he rejoices to sing beside you and declare to you the name of God in singing. He is overwhelmingly rejoicing in the reality of what He's purchased for you. And that He who sanctifies and they that are sanctified are all of one. We all have one Father because we're brothers of Jesus Christ. We're all of one. And for that cause, He delights to declare the name of God and He delights to sing over the banner of God's name with you and to you. In the midst of the congregation. So Jesus is here. He's sitting next to you. Is your joy in singing about Him as, as, as joyous as Jesus singing about the name of God over you? That's something for us to think about, isn't it? Do you like to sing? What time do you get here for singing on Sunday morning? How eager are you to be here? To burst out the first word of the song and the last one on a Sunday morning. See, there should be an eagerness and an expectation. I, I know there are a hundred reasons why you may not be here at the start of the song. That's fine. We, we understand that. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the joy of singing over God. This joy is not always a joy where you're smiling. Sometimes you're smiling and you're upbeat and it's a great song. Sometimes you're, you're joyful through crying and tears. How many times have you ever experienced a broken heart and you experience joy? There's no smile on your face and there's tears streaming down your eyes. That's joy. When did that come? Through praise and worship and singing the truth of who God and Christ is for you through psalms and hymns and spiritual Songs. We need to sing. We need to sing in our homes. We need to sing in church. Years ago, when Peggy and I first got married, we found ourselves often singing at a table in our 20s with a couple in their 60s and a couple in their 70s, maybe 80s. I don't remember. I still see them in my eyes. Now, people would say, that's odd that you're spending Friday night singing. It was a joy. I think there were more times of such singing in days gone by in this country, in Christian homes and in churches. Have we lost the joy of singing? Now, if the benefit of singing is joy, you understand that this is not being critical or condemnatory, right? No more than when God commands us to sing, He's being a killjoy. He does command us to sing. Why? Because it's for your joy. 
Now, if the nations are glad and they come to the place with a singing with joy, and the joy of the Lord is your strength, where are you getting strength? In singing with joy over the name of God. Because you're singing truth. I remembered thy name in the night, O Lord, and I kept your law. Why? Because your statutes were my songs. What kind of singers does God like to hear? What kind of songs does He like to hear? If He demands the song, then there's a certain tune, there's a certain song He likes. Well, we just saw the song He likes is the song over the banner of all that He is for us. His name, He's Jehovah. And the reason He loves that song is because it glorifies His name when it gives us joy and strength and comfort in the singing. And why does it do that? Because the Holy Spirit is in you to fill you with that joy because you're singing reality. God is ultimate reality. And so when we sing the reality of His promises, it will give us strength and comfort and keep us on the pathway, even singing, when we're singing God's Word in a time when we feel down, we are distressed, we are in affliction, and we need comfort. What kind of singer does God like? Well, it's not professional singers. Now, if you were a professional singer today, that would be fine, but you don't have to be a professional singer. The singers that God likes are singers with melody and grace in the heart. Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in songs, hymn, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. Now that's the imperative mood. God's saying, this is not an option. I'm demanding that you sing to me. I'm demanding you sing about me. Because in singing about me, it's going to be for your benefit and not God's. God is not increased one iota if all the saints of God right now, assembled in the presence of God's holiness, are singing over the banner of His redemption. No benefit to God whatsoever. All the angels in heaven with their superb sounding songs and singing have no value to God with regard to increasing His glory. He is the benefactor. All creation are the beneficiaries. So the demand to sing is a demand by God for you to find real lasting joy in God. Which is the reason everything God tells us to do in the Bible. So songs, hymns, spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. Now what would that sound like? Well, it may be off key at times. You know, if you hear me sing, well, you, you kind of look strange when I just sang. I thought, hey, I'm off key, and I got one word in front of the other. Ask Brother Adam, I do that all the time. I think how much I must throw him off, and Sister Jennifer. But God is not demanding professional singers. Now, if we can sound good, we should, because that gives us more joy. The kind of singers is grace in the heart. Now, what would that sound like? Who really is the most excited? Who would be the best-sounding singer on the planet about grace? The one who knows they're deeply and desperately flawed. Isn't that a, kind of a strange thing? Professionals unneeded. All you need is to know you are deeply flawed. And that person will be the best singer on the planet. Because they will be so thrilled with grace. 
They will be so in love with God and His grace that He would pardon such a deeply flawed person that the sound of that voice, creaking off-key as it may be, will be music in the ears of God because His aim in the salvation of sinners' church is what? In Ephesians 1, to the praise and the glory of His grace. If you don't know how deeply flawed you are, Grace is not really amazing anymore. It's just grace. I believe in grace. It's grace. But when grace is truly amazing, then you know how deeply desperate and flawed you are. My dad could not sing. No, I'm serious. He could not sing. He knew he could not sing. My mother knew he couldn't sing. She said, okay, just sing low. But he sang. He always sang. And I know the sound of my dad's voice must have been astoundingly beautiful in the ears of Christ because you could see grace in his heart bubbling over in his face when he smiled at the words he sang and tears would flow down his eyes over the songs of grace that he sang. My dad could not sing, but he was one of the best singers on the planet because he deeply knew how flawed he was. You see, beloved, the deeper and the more empty and desperate we become, the better singers we'll ever be. So may, may God bless us to praise His grace, enjoy His grace, and be amazed once again with amazing grace. May it be really sweet to our ears and not just a hymn and a tune, which it is. And we, they still need to write those and they still need to give us tunes and melodies because we sing them. But may God bless us to sing His statutes in such a way, to remember His name in such a way, that even in affliction, at a time where maybe we don't want to sing, there would be a song in our hearts that would come out as a sweet-sounding melody to God. Not because we sound good, but because grace has touched our hearts. And what is the upshot of that grace in the heart? Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to the Father by Him. You're just thanking God in song. You're just bursting forth. You ever had that experience when you come to church and, you know, frankly, you really just don't feel like singing? I mean, I, I felt like that at times. Or I'm so distracted, I don't, I don't even know what page I'm on. And then all of a sudden, there's this song, it's like, I'm overwhelmed again. Okay. Singing in itself. The name of God can produce that joy even when you walk in here and you don't have it. But you've got to be committed to be here to experience it, right? If you felt so bad and say, well, I'm just going to miss the song, sir. Well, you just miss the opportunity to experience the joy over the name of God and be obedient to God and His Word because He demands it. And so let this shape us and be a people that love to sing, not because we like to hear ourselves sing, you know, I've told this before, you know, if during the song service, go back to the restroom with the speaker on and you'll go, mm, you know, we, we don't really sound that good. But when you're in the sanctuary and you're singing over the name of God, you're all the most beautiful singers I've ever heard in my life. It sounds wonderful. And God enjoys hearing that kind of song from the heart. In Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas had been greatly afflicted. They had been beaten with stripes. They had, Paul had cast out a demon from a young maiden. The hope of the gains of the craftsmen were gone. They brought them to the magistrates. They rent their clothes and they beat them. Jewish law, there's a limit on the number of stripes, not Roman law. Don't know how many times they were beaten, but they were beaten. 
and their backs were laid open. The jailer was charged to, put them in, uh, to, to not let them go, put them in prison, so he put them in the inner prison with that kind of charge, put their feet fast in the stocks in a very uncomfortable position, and then at midnight they prayed and they sang praises to God, and the prisoners heard them. Now what did they sing? I think they sang number, I don't know what they sang. No idea what they sang. But they were praising and thanking God, bleeding from their backs, there's no doubt about that, and they were praying at midnight. I remembered thy name, O Lord, in the night, and I kept thy law. The impact that it had on the prisoners was such that when the earthquake came, which could have been an answer to the prayer, have you ever thought about that? They prayed, answer came, man is converted, whole household converted by the gospel. Earthquake came, prison doors are open, Philippian jailer runs in, sees it, supposing they were gone, takes out a sword, is about to take his own life. Paul says, do thyself no harm, we are all here, we are all here. That is pretty astounding, isn't it? Now if you're a prisoner in that prison house, Roman prison, you're going to run as fast as you can when you see those gates open. They stayed. Some way, what they heard from Paul and Silas and prayer and singing had an impact on them. Of course, God was over the whole thing as well, we know. So what were they singing? We don't know, but if they were singing psalms, they were singing the name of God. They were singing the statutes of God. What did they hear? Whatever they heard, I doubt it was very appealing to the ears. What they heard was two men filled with joy, peace, and contentment. What other reason would you sing and give thanks in a time when you're in pain? Joy over the Lord. Peace in God. No matter what my circumstances are, I've got this inner peace and contentment. You just sang, content with beholding His face, my all to His pleasure resigned. No changes of season or place would make any change in my mind. While blessed with a sense of His love, a palace, a toy would appear, or prisons would palaces prove if Jesus would dwell with me here. Alright, a, a palace, a toy would appear. In my basement, there is this palace-like dollhouse that to a toddler, when you open it up with all the furniture, it looks like a palace. You know what it is to you and me? It's just a toy. It's a toy. When you're blessed with a sense of His love, a palace, a toy, would appear. If you were in King Solomon's palace, if you walked in the most spectacular palace, like a Biltmore kind of palace, and you had a sense of Jesus' love, the Biltmore would be like the dollhouse in my basement to you. Because His face, His face is far more glorious than a palace. It just becomes a toy. On the other hand, if you're like Paul and Silas, prisons would palaces prove. He's in a prison. He's not in a palace. But it's as if he's in a palace with Jesus. Because he's content with beholding his face. And he's, they're blessed with a sense of his love. You don't sing if you're not blessed with a sense of Christ's love. And so whatever those, soul, those men heard in the prison, we don't know. Whatever they prayed, we don't know. 
But they prayed and sang, and the upshot was they heard something so appealing, maybe a joy they didn't know, a peace they had never, never considered, or a contentment that, that was just nothing like they'd ever seen, that maybe they were so dumbfounded when the prison guards got there and they thought, ah, we missed our chance to leave. I don't know. But there they stood with Paul. And God uses that occasion to bring glory to Himself through the conversion of a sinner. Beloved, let us sing. Sometimes we don't want to sing, but let us sing. Not as professional singers, let us sing with joy in our hearts, asking God Himself, because when the Word of Christ is dwelling in you richly, then you're singing, and when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, then you're singing. And that's the connection of the two imperatives in Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3. When the Word is there, the Holy Spirit fills us by means of that Word, and then the singing becomes more joyful for us, because we are, we are, we are blessed with a sense of His love. And we behold His face through the Word and the truth of the Gospel. So I like your singing. You all just sounded fantastic. But how much more do we want those good-sounding words to come from hearts that have melody and grace and joy? And may we be eager, even we don't feel eager, to be here on a Sunday morning and to burst out on the first note. Whether it's a minor tune... And it's a time when we're weeping but experiencing joy in the Lord at losses we experience. Or it's a peppy tune and we're experiencing as a church a mountaintop time. May we sing all kinds of hymns that meet the needs of all kinds of people when all of us are in different circumstances and challenges of life. May God be glorified as we find comfort in singing His Word and His name. And then lastly, in the psalm, we find comfort in the name of God. Now that's what the connection is initially. Thy statutes, verse 54, Thy statutes have been my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. I have remembered thy name, O Lord, in the night, and have kept thy law. This I had. That's not I will have. Right now the psalmist has something because I kept thy precepts. He was in possession of something. What did he have? Well, he had the, the comfort in the affliction. He had the comfort by himself remembering the judgments of the Lord. Everything in this psalm is what he had. He even had the horror that, that helped keep him with God and, and seeing the end and the, the wicked that forsook the law. He had comfort in the songs or the statutes of God, and he had comfort in the name of God. And that kind of sums up everything, right? The ultimate comfort. No matter what the, the instruments God is using and the means, all comfort, 2 Corinthians 1, all comfort is the comfort that comes from the God of comfort. And so when we have comfort in God's name, we have that comfort because or when or that I kept thy precepts. That word because can be translated either of those ways. What we do know is that the psalmist is not saying, I kind of earned this, you know, do so much works, get so much from God, kind of theology, which is contrary to the Word of God. So what is the psalmist saying? When he had the name of God, in verse 55, he kept the law, and this he had, and he kept keeping it. In other words, the law is the reward in and of itself. Obedience is its own reward. See? 
He's keeping law. This I had, the name of God, the comfort, and then He's keeping it. More clearly in Psalm 19, More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter than honey and the honeycomb. The Word of God, the law of God, is better than gold, even refined, pure gold, and it's sweeter than honey, even honey from the honeycomb, which has a better taste than honey after it's come out of the honeycomb after a few days. Moreover, by them, the Word of God, is thy servant warned, and in keeping them is what? Great reward. Where is the reward? In keeping them. Not after, but in it. And that's what the psalmist wants to stress. I had this in the time of walking with God, keeping the law, and it was that I kept the law. It's its own reward. So we're not looking beyond God for the reward. We're looking at God in the name of God for the reward. And in obeying God, the psalmist says, there is great reward. And we need to see obedience that way. See, we're not obeying God so we can get something out of Him. We're not obeying God so that when we obey, there's going to be something after it. This I had right in the middle of it. He had this in his obedience. James 1 speaks of this, doesn't it? James would say, Be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any man be a hearer of the word, and not a doer of the word, he's deceiving himself, and he's likened to a man that's beholding his natural face in a glass. For he behold himself, goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso look into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, this man, not being a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man is blessed in the deed. Now notice the phrase there. It's not after it, that'll still be there, the blessing, but in the doing, in the obedience, this man is blessed in it. If any among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit the fathers and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. All right, what is James trying to say to these two kinds of men that were both looking at the law? They're Jewish Christians. They're to be looking at it through Christ, but they're looking at this law. One looks at the law like a mirror, and that's what it is. The law is to reflect two things. First, it reflects a revelation of God's holiness. That's the point of the law. Secondly, it reflects something about us. When the law does its work, and you go to the Old Testament and read all that God requires of you, the first thing you can see is, I've not done that. That's the first thing you should go. You shouldn't say, I can do that. It should show you and expose something at the deepest level of your heart. So that you then turn to Christ and say, in Christ now, I can obey that. Only in Christ. So it exposes, it, it reveals God, a revelation of God's righteousness, and then it exposes ourselves. But the one man, it has a distorted reflection. He cannot see himself as he truly is. So he looks at himself in the mirror and he thinks, all is good. And straightway he leaves and he's not a doer of the work. This man looks into the law like a mirror, but instead of a mirror, it becomes a window for which he looks through it and he sees everybody else's sin. You ever been like way? This is the person who hears the sermon and says, I wish that that person would have been here. They so desperately needed that. 
That's a problem. Now, don't raise your hand, but we've all done that. Really, that's a massive problem. You're seeing the law like a, a window for everybody else but yourself. And so what's the first work that James is after before you get to bridling the tongue and pure religion? Because if you can't bridle the tongue, what's the problem? Oh, an unbridled heart. Always the problem. Always the problem. So you can get this going right, and if this is wrong, you're sinning with every word you say. Because it's not a faith, and whatsoever is not a faith is sin. That's just the reality of the Bible. So James wants to work on the heart first. So what does he say? Wherefore, laying aside all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save what? Your soul, not your tongue. It'll get there. But your soul, your soul. So the first work this man needs to do when he looks into the law is see himself and receive something outside of him because something is planting inside of him. And how is it going to save his soul? By purification and transforming him so that he can lay aside filthiness, moral evil that's coming from his soul. If we don't deal with the soul of the problem, the rest of the body has not been dealt with in a way that pleases God. Now, that's all throughout the Bible. I don't need to spend time proving that to you. So the first doing that James is after is a looking into the law in such a way that it's producing a transformation because it's the perfect law of freedom. What do you have freedom to do? To see Christ as the fulfillment of the law and to see yourself in need of Christ and in need of transformation so that then humbly receiving the engrafted word. Meekness means in humility. So right now when I'm listening, I'm not, I'm not thinking about my wife. I'm not thinking about my husband. I'm not thinking about, I'm thinking about me. I, I want the, the word of God to probe my heart so that then in humility receiving the word, it's having a purifying effect on my soul and it's saving my soul through purifying what's already pure. That's the only way the Word can save you in sanctification. You're already pure, so it's purifying. You're already right, so you're doing right things. You're already holy, so you're on the pathway of holiness. And then there's purification from the inside out. Now this man who looks into the perfect law of liberty, what does he see? He sees Christ as the fulfillment. He sees something about himself that needs to change. The first work he does is the work of purification, and so he stays with it. He continues therein. He's not a forgetful hearer, but he's a doer of the work, and he's blessed in the deed. This I have, because I kept the law. He's blessed in the transformation and in the doing of that and in the doing of the deeds that follow. And what follows? A bridling of the tongue. No man can tame the tongue, James says in James chapter 3. Only the man who's being tamed by Christ, that is his heart, is being transformed by Christ. That's where the hope of a tamed tongue, a bridled tongue, comes from the heart that's captivated with the glory of Christ through the Word. So the tongue is starting to, to do better. Still sinful because there's transformation at the level of the heart. Because he sees Christ, he sees his need for change, and therefore he starts working on the change. He's being blessed in the change, and then he becomes a practicer of pure religion which is what? To visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction to keep himself unspotted from the world. See, to keep yourself unspotted from the world must come from a heart 
that's having a certain kind of relationship with Christ. And then to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction, remember that's the two people groups who can do nothing for you. Pure religion. This is not the only thing about religion. This is not the only thing we're to do. But at that moment, you know that what's motivating your heart is that you're looking in the perfect law of liberty, you're seeing the glory of Christ, you're seeing your need for change, and the transformation is producing fruit towards people that can give you nothing. Now, some widows today, rich widows, could reward you handsomely, right? Still do stuff for them. But you know in that day, it's all about God's glory. You're asking for wisdom by faith, James 1, 5, and 6, because you're going out to people. Fatherless children do nothing for you. Widows have nothing, can do nothing for you. Who's doing something for you? The pure religion of knowing Christ through the perfect Law, mature, law, freedom, freedom to see in the mirror and see Christ's glory. The other guy didn't have that freedom. No change. And the freedom to see the need for change. The other guy didn't have that freedom. Where's the blessing in the doing? What are we talking about? This I had, the comfort, the strength, the name of God, and I've kept the law, and I had this in keeping the law. The law, the word of God, obedience is his own reward because God is the reward for the Christian. And so relating to God and obeying God brings a twofold kind of joy. We're enjoying the love of God and then we're enjoying God and loving our neighbor in the obedience. And if you've got nothing else out of your life, you should be a happy, joyful Christian. If nothing else happened to you, but that you were blessed in obedience because you can see Christ in the perfect law of liberty and see yourself. You are of all men a happy man, woman, child, Christian. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word to us. Your word is a thorough furnisher unto all good works. Your word penetrates our souls again and again and again. Bless us to be in possession of the Word, like the psalmist, in possession of Your name by the Word, through the complete revelation, Old Testament and New, in such a way that when we see the law, what it demands of us, we first see Christ fulfilled it perfectly. And then we see the Gospel as the power of God unto salvation. The power to do whatever law, commandments in Your Word tells us to do comes from Christ alone. And then, Lord, help us to move out in that blessing of obedience, experiencing the reward in and of itself, your fellowship, your grace, your mercy, and in the joy of being what you call us to be, relying upon you, and in the pathway of obedience. Not because that obedience saves us, but because you've saved us gloriously by your amazing grace. In Jesus' name we pray.